Today's passage is Mark 4, verse 1 to 34. It's on page 1005 in the Burgundy Bibles. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. 
night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Please help me to say things that are true. Please give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And help us to respond in the right way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that Jesus wants to achieve at least two things among us today. Number one, he wants us to be encouraged in our faith. He wants us to be encouraged in our faith as we see and learn more about the kingdom of God. That's number one. Second thing is he wants to make sure that we have made the proper response to him. Or to put it another way, he wants to make sure that our faith is true faith. There are two things I believe Jesus wants to achieve among us this morning. So thinking about our passage, how did we get here? Well, Mark, the author of our passage today, uh, in his first chapter, opens this account of the good news about Jesus... Uh, by telling us that Jesus went about preaching. And his message was this, we were told at the beginning. Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus went about healing people, casting out demons and teaching about that kingdom. They're like signs of the kingdom. But then Mark showed us in chapter 2 some of the opposition that Jesus received, particularly from the religious leaders and some of the misunderstanding that others had about him, particularly his own family. 
Then last week, in chapter 3, we saw that Jesus was making a people for himself. He was building a new family, and he was doing this by rescuing people out of the kingdom of darkness, which the Bible describes as the whole world outside of Jesus, and he was bringing them into his kingdom, and these were his people. And that brings us to where we are now. And what Mark does in this chapter is he shows us a bunch of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. So this is our very unflashy title for this morning. I don't have a slide, but if you're taking notes, it goes like this. Some things about the kingdom. Now, what is, Je- what is Jesus trying to do with this collection of parables? And why has he told them? And why has Mark put them together? Coming back to our two things that I think that Jesus wants to achieve. He wants to achieve two things, I think, with these parables. The first, as I've already said, he wants to encourage us. In particular, he's going to encourage us about the nature of the message and the success and power of the message. And this he wants to teach as a response to the recent opposition that we've just seen, and thereby encourage his disciples. Now, just on this first thing that Jesus wants to do, let me tell you three things in the Christian life, three words, three aspects that are fairly common. They are faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Three big aspects of the Christian life. And it strikes me as remarkable the amount of material in the Bible designed simply to encourage you in your faith. The response for you there and the application for your life is to be encouraged in your faith so that your faith is stronger than it was before. And I think that's what Jesus wants to do. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think he wants to make sure through this collection of parables that we have made the proper response to the kingdom message. Because in order to actually participate in the blessings of the kingdom, we need to have received the message about the kingdom rightly. So this is a loving thing that Jesus is doing by making sure that our faith is real faith. Last week we learnt about this people that Jesus was making and a key feature was that they were oriented around Jesus and listening to Jesus. And now Jesus is going to take us deeper in our understanding of faith. So firstly... (coughs) Again, if you're taking notes, this can be your first heading, teaching that encourages. Okay, and under this heading, we're going to have two aspects. And the first is, Jesus wants to teach the disciples that his message has a dual effect. It's the one message, but it's doing two things. Let's look at uh, verses 10 to 12 again together. Okay, 
When he was alone, sorry, just because I'm aware of where we are in the section. Here's what's happened. He's told the parable in its raw form, and then he has verses 10 to 12, and then he comes back and he explains the parable after that. So we're in the middle there. Jesus is um, explaining what's going on to his disciples. Verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, first thing to say is that I don't think this, that the picture we're supposed to have in our minds is a picture of Jesus uh, saying parables in order to hold out those who really want to get in. I think that's not quite the picture that he's, that he's giving. But he is saying, and it's fairly plain on the surface, isn't it, that he's saying the message in parables not simply to help people understand. He's not just saying the parables because parables are a really good way for people to understand the message. He just said the opposite of that. He's saying, I'm saying things in parables so that for some people, they're puzzling and it's confusing and they don't get it. That's what he's saying. And I think that that can strike us, or certainly strikes me, as quite surprising. But here's what I think is going on. For Jesus, he's delivering his message in parables. And so the form of the message corresponds to the, con- to the content of the message. And that message is a message from God that is carefully crafted in such a way that it's one message and on, but, but, the, but the very message that goes out is the one same message that has two different responses from two different types of people. On the one side, people don't see what's going on. It's a puzzle. And from the other side, people see something remarkable. Another way, perhaps, to think about it is that it's the one message, but the door in to see the beauty on the other side is a very low door called the humble door. And for the tall, proud people, it just looks like a wall. But for the humble people, they see a door there into a room of grace. Another way that James Edwards illustrated it was that it was like a stained glass window of a cathedral that on the outside looks dark and dull, but on the inside, with the light coming in, opens up to a beautiful, colourful picture. And I think that creation, as an analogy, has a similar effect. I think God has delivered Uh, revealed himself in creation in such a way that at one level it's blindingly obvious that God made all this. 
But he's not just walking around all the time, waking people up and giving them spooky encounters and saying, look, here I did it, check out the creation that I made. No, there is a kind of level in which we kind of go, well, yeah, he kind of has revealed himself. But, yeah, you kind of do need eyes to see it. It's, it's really there, um, but, it's, but it's done in such a way that if you want to be stubborn-headed, you can come up with ways to make creation not be created by God. <clears throat> Another part of this is that Jesus is a man who's bringing both judgment and salvation. So his message is not just salvation, but he's completing a long, a long story of judgment on a nation that doesn't want to hear. And so his message comes in the form of parables uh, to carry on that effect. And Jesus needs to teach uh, these disciples about this, this aspect of the message because it's not just his parables that do this. They're going to find that as they go out after Jesus has ascended and they are carrying on the message that they're going to have the same uh, reality with the message that they proclaim. We see it, for an example, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's one message that is foolishness to some and the power of God to others. Or, he says in 2 Corinthians, that the same message is on the one hand the scent of death to some and the scent of life to others. So just as Jesus' message is is sent in parables and kind of the form embodies what the content is, so the disciples, when they are off on their mission after Jesus has ascended, are going to have this same message, one message with two effects. And they need to know that that's okay. They need to know that that's okay. So that you don't, on the one hand, change the message. I think it's the case that we can be easily discouraged and so stop believing or stop speaking when we see that the message isn't received in perhaps the way that we think it ought to be received. It is simply the best news ever. And as these disciples are there around Jesus and they see, right, you're saying that the kingdom's come, you're saying that you're gathering this great new people, how come the really important religious leaders are rejecting you then? Jesus is going to say, that's the way this message works. It's got two effects and the proud will stay out, but for those who see, beautiful, glorious, like the sun coming in through Uh, the cathedral window. You see, the word of the cross says that deep down, we're really bad and we don't really want God. Which means that Jesus needed to die for our sins. The word of the cross says that God saves us not by lowering the demands on us, but by taking those demands upon himself. The word of the cross says that despite being so unlovable, Jesus showed his love for us by being willing to die for us. 
This is a word that humbles everyone who accepts it because it means forsaking all rights to entitlement and boasting. This is a massive letting go of self. But it's also a message that lifts up the most discouraged because it gives them a place and an honour that they know they could never achieve and don't deserve on their own. This is the word of the cross. And if you are on the outside, the clue is coming to Jesus, and we see it in verse 10 and 11. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. Who are you in there? They're those who are around him and with the twelve. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. First step for you right now, if that's where you are, is come to Jesus to get understanding. Ask him for understanding. Okay, that's the first thing I think that Jesus wants to uh, teach the disciples and encourage them in. The message has a dual effect. The second way that I think these kingdom parables encourage the disciples <clears throat> is by Jesus teaching them that the message has extraordinary power. So despite the opposition and rejection that we've just seen, for those who do receive the seed, there is an abundant crop. Look with me in verse uh, 20. So he's finishing his tale about the parable, the, the, about the sower, and he gets to the final soil, and he says, Others, like so seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That's a lot. That's like, that's like a lot of harvest from the seed. And that's meant to be the point. You're meant to get there and be like, wow, 30 or 60 or 100 times. This is a ridiculous harvest. What kind of seed is this guy sowing? And so the parable has, part of what the parable is doing is it's supposed to get you to say, right, this is a really successful farmer. Despite a whole bunch of seed going in the wrong places, the seed that did land produced far more than was needed to make up for all the seed that was lost. That is an incredible seed that that bloke has got. And if an Old Testament prophet heard this, he might think to himself, ah, yeah, that is exactly what I was talking about. Remember how I said the days are coming when the hills would have uh, wine flowing down them because the, the vines were so full of grapes you didn't know what to do with them. Yeah, that, that what Jesus is talking about, that is what I was talking about. That there sounds to me like the blessing of God. That sounds like, whatever that is, is the day of the Lord and of all of his blessings. 
the kingdom of God and the message with it is absolutely full of power and blessing. And he wants the disciples to see that and not be discouraged when a whole bunch of seed and a whole bunch of people don't receive it. We see this same idea in verses 26 to 29. <clears throat> so thinking about the last couple of parables that he says. I'll just read verse 26 to 29 again. He, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is a seed that has life in itself. It's got automatic power. Note that the man does nothing. Whether he sleeps or whether he rises, it doesn't matter. And that's the point. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. And the man doesn't know how the seed grows. But a good Jew does know how the grass grows. How does the grass grow? God makes the grass grow. The kingdom is powered by the very power of God. Not only so, but this seed makes it to its intended end. He sows the seed, and what ends up happening to it at the end? It's not just to say, the parable, that the man does nothing. It is also to say that the little seed, it grows and grows, and it keeps growing. It makes it through the first stage and the next stage and the next stage, and it makes it all the way up to harvest time, and then it becomes an enormous harvest. The seed reaches its intended end. And the kingdom and the message have got life in themselves and they reach their intended end. We see it again in verse 30 to 32. Again he said, what shall we say? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So here he's brought out the ultimate underdog story. It's the mustard... Uh, sorry, side note. The mustard seed, as we know, is not the very smallest of seeds. And perhaps it is not the very largest of plants that is in your garden. But that is not the point. <laughs> the point is that Jesus is using something that they're going to understand to make a point about the smallest and the largest. That's the point. So, it's a story, a parable, about the extremes. It's about the kingdom going from one extreme to the other extreme. <clears throat> and on the one hand, it starts out unassuming. It's just a little tiny seed. But where does it go? It becomes the largest. This is a seed, this is a kingdom, that is destined not just to be big, but to be the biggest. Not just to be large, 
to be the largest. It's a kingdom destined to completely win. This is what Isaiah was talking about in chapter 2. When the days are coming, when the mountain of the Lord will be the chief among the mountains. It will be the chief kingdom. In each of these seed parables, the seed has incredible success. So these parables of the kingdom, they're success stories. That's what he's told them. I'm going to teach you some things about the kingdom and there's a great big emphasis on this kingdom is full of an abundant blessing. Remarkable. It's full of extraordinary power despite people whether or not they work, whether or not they sleep or get up or not. And it starts out really, really small. In fact, the smallest. So small, so unassuming. It's very counterintuitive. But it ends up being the greatest. This is an unstoppable, God-powered, abundance-filled kingdom that will win. And you need to know this, disciples especially when it looks like the message is getting rejected by important people. And you also need to know this, when you are tempted to supplement the word or change the word or in some other way improve the word. Now in these last two parables, I've just got one question for us. It says it's the kingdom, doesn't it? What is the kingdom of God like? And then the kingdom is, it's difficult to work out how the parable and the kingdom quite work together. Is the kingdom the man or is the kingdom the seed or is the kingdom the whole package and is the message the seed? How does it work with the, with the parable? Or is, or is Jesus the seed? And I suspect I'm going to go with all three. And here's here's why. Because I think Jesus himself fits. He's unassuming. And he starts out, lots of people think, what's so great about a bloke who comes from Nazareth? And he's going to end up being uh, the king, God's king, who sits on the eternal throne forever. That sounds like the smallest to the largest. Uh, It also works uh, with the kingdom. The kingdom starts with one little seed, Jesus, being planted uh, outside of Jerusalem, buried in a tomb. He's the little seed. He gets planted, and that's the kingdom starting. But that's the smallest. But then when we get to the end of the story, we find that in the new creation... There is uh, people that you can't even count have been included in the kingdom. The kingdom starts out one little man, he's the smallest, and it ends up being the largest. It's this enormous kingdom. And I think it works with the word. It's unassuming. It's just a word. That's That's an interesting way to expand your kingdom. With a word, with a message, with a seed sown, spoken to people. But it can take a spiritually dead person from the very lowest and it can give them eternal life. 
Disciples, here is some teaching about the kingdom to encourage you in your faith. But the second thing is, for the note takers, second big heading, you need the proper response. The proper response. Okay, so we just need a few things that we have to see first. So in chapter 4, well, sorry, we're in chapter 4. In verses 1 and 2, we see that there's a large crowd. So first thing we're going to do is we're just going to see a few things and then we're going to think about the proper response. And the first thing we need to see is that there's a large crowd. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered round, that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. You see that? This is, that's the context. Jesus got a very large crowd in front of him. And the second thing we need to see is that there are two types of having. What do I mean by that? Well, we see it in two places in this passage. Let's have a look. The first is in verse 12. What he says, look what he says, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. It's kind of a way of saying like this. They'll be ever seeing but not seeing. They'll be ever hearing but not hearing because there are two types of hearing, two types of seeing, two types of having. Okay, now keep working with me. Come down to verse 25. Look what he says there. As he's expanding on what he's just taught them in this parable, he says this, whoever has will be given more. And then check it out. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So do they have or do they not have? There's two types of having. And that is what's going on in the parables, isn't it? Uh, sorry, in the parable of the, of the different soils. There are four different types of soils, and in one sense, they've all got the seed. But from another se- at another level, only one of them has got the seed. <coughs> There's two types of having. That's what's going on uh, in this first um, parable. The, s- the soils are the same in that sense. They have the seed, but they don't all really have the seed. And the point is, by virtue of the word here, 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 here being repeated, is that we need to make sure you've got the proper response. And so this parable about the the four soils is about three wrong ways to hear and one correct way to hear. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look through these soils together and think about what the proper response is to this kingdom. So the first soil, this is what it says. The farmer sows the word. Jesus is giving the, I'm going to go straight to the explanation starting in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some seed are like, some people, sorry, are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So the first soil, here's the message. But note, the message isn't given space even to get in, is it? That's the first soil. So what is this? I think this is something like somebody who doesn't give it the time, the thought, the seriousness. Perhaps they are unbelievably busy and don't want to know about eternal life. Or they're 
overly entertained and they don't have the time. I think this also happens from a heart that is closed from the beginning. Some hearts don't want the word to get in. There's not even an openness from the beginning to the idea. And Jesus says this soil is like a path. It's hard. It's an easy target for Satan. Please don't let this be you. The second soil, starting in verse 16, others, Jesus says, like, are like seed sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the second soil, here's the word, makes room, but not much room. I think the point here is that the, there's not enough room for the whole message. And pain is the sticking point. It's a, I'm happy to take the message on, all the bits that I like, the easy bits, but not the bits about division. And not the bits that are going to bring me pain in my life. Perhaps pain in the workplace, perhaps pain in the family. I'm happy to take the message on, but not when it brings pain or division. And the third soil, starting in verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The third soil, hears the word, makes room, makes even enough room to get the whole message in, but shares the space with another plant. It's one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. And the tragedy of this soil is that the world always wins. <clears throat> this third soil, as it were, has a love for pleasure, not an aversion to pain. And so the conclusion is that the right soil makes room for the whole message. The message comes in and takes exclusive residence. You might picture it like this. That soil takes Jesus, takes Jesus as he really is, and takes only Jesus. This is an expanded understanding now of genuine faith. This is about complete and undivided devotion. And, might I add, this is not a novelty, what I'm saying. In Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus says, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Listen carefully. Don't think that a life that looks like the other soils will be okay. 
Don't think that. That would be precisely not the point that Jesus is making. The very point of the parable is that it won't. So make sure you hear it correctly. When Jesus comes in to take residence in our lives, he only takes one place. It's the center and it's only him. Soil four. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. You know what's remarkable about this soil? I think is that it is surprisingly unremarkable. There's actually one word that distinguishes it. And that is the word accepts, receives, takes, embraces, receives. <clears throat> so all that other stuff, the other soils, it's about getting all the other things out more than it's about grabbing a whole bunch of other stuff, new stuff to jam in and just make an exclusive residence to receive the one seed, to receive Jesus. And when I think of accept, I think of trusts. Accepts, here's the word and accepts it. There's a, there's a submission to this, there's a humility to this, there's a, there's a trusting to this. And this is what it's going to take, isn't it? Especially when you've seen the cost of the other soils. Embracing Jesus as he is involves trusting Jesus when pain comes because of him. Embracing Jesus as he is involves trusting Jesus is who he says he is and will keep his promises because it means a denial of pleasures in the present life. This takes trust. In, in a way, all the other soils are about self-preservation. They're about not letting Jesus in to tell me what to do, to bring any pain into my life, or to hold back any pleasure. But here's the thing. Jesus is worth it. And this is, the, this is the point of the abundant crop at the end. For those who receive, the crop is abundant. Being a disciple of Jesus means giving up everything you have to gain something so much more. You can't just let go of all of those other things and just have nothing that you grab onto. You'll grab onto something. And Jesus is the thing that you get when you let go of those other things. Jesus is worth it because nothing you have can bring you through death. But Jesus can. 
and nothing you have can bring you everlasting joy, but Jesus can. And nothing you have can fix your broken body forever, but Jesus can. And nothing you have can remove your sins and mend your relationship with God, but Jesus can. No other kingdom that you aim to build will last, but Jesus' kingdom will never end. So get in on that. As we conclude, it might involve repentance. It'll certainly involve faith. And so in a way, this takes us back to the start. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Thank you, Dave. Dave Oakley is going to lead us as we pray in response. In the Lord's prayer, heaven be our vision, rule in our hearts, and equip us for your service this week. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Uh, we've come to the end of our formal time together. There will be uh, biscuits and coffee and tea at the hatch over there. Um, there'll be children and junior church leaders to rescue from our children. So if, if you've got children out there, do grab them back as soon as possible. Uh, there'll be chairs to put away. There'll be uh, packing up to help do. There'll be fellowship to have with our, our friends and our church family around us. If you would like somewhere to pray, um, a few doors down, three doors down on that corridor on the right, there's a room that we can use. Um, or collar someone and pray with them in here. Uh, you don't have to run away. Um, that's the end, and we'll see you next week, I hope.